Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of us, and they'll take care of you. Do a great job. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. He's been on for many years. Today we're going to take up the topic, very controversial topic of gun control. Andrew Joppa is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll get his commentary on what's happening in culture and politics, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He writes a column for Newsmax called On Point. We'll be talking about uh, woke corporate politics. He also, by the way, wrote, he's uh, written several, several books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is April the 14th, and on this day in 1935, what became known as Black Sunday, one of the most devastating storms of the 1930s Dust Bowl era, swept across the region. High winds kicked up clouds of millions of tons of dirt and dust, so dense and dark that as some eyewitnesses believed the world was coming to an end. The term Dust Bowl was reportedly coined by a reporter in the mid-1930s and referred to the plains of West Kansas, southeastern Colorado, the panhandles of Texas and Oklahoma, and northeastern New Mexico. By the early 1930s, the grassy plains of the region had been overplowed by farmers and overgrazed by cattle and sheep. The resulting soil erosion, combined with an eight-year drought which began in 1931, created a dire situation for farmers and ranchers. Crops and businesses failed, and an increasing number of dust storms made people and animals very sick. Many residents fled to the region in, in uh, search of work in other states such as California, and you may recall uh, John Steinbeck's famous novel, The Grapes of Wrath. And those who remained behind struggled with support uh, to support themselves. By the mid-30s, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, in his administration, introduced programs to help alleviate the farming crisis. Among those initiatives were the establishment of a soil conservation service in the Department of Agriculture. They promoted improved farming and land management techniques, and farmers were paid to utilize these safer practices. For many Dust Bowl farmers, this federal aid was their only source of income at the time. The Dust Bowl era finally came to a close when the rains arrived and the drought ended in 1935. Although drought would continue to be an inevitable part of life in the region, improved farming techniques significantly reduced the problem of erosion and prevented repeat of the 1930s Dust Bowl devastation. We still have a, par- a problem with uh, losing the uh, what's in the soil that's so important for our food. But nevertheless, an interesting story. Dealing with problems uh, that come up. Also on this day in 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was shot at Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth. Uh, he said, the South is avenged, and he jumped onto the stage and fled by horseback. Lincoln ended up dying the next day. So, such a sad chapter in our history. Of course, John Wilkes Booth was hanged by the neck for his deed. Naples could soon boast a five-star Four Seasons Resort. With Four Seasons Hotel and Resorts hasn't publicly announced its interest yet, 
The Athens Group has confirmed that in a letter of intent for the world-renowned brand to operate the five-star resort that will replace the landmark Naples Beach Hotel. Four Seasons Destination Resorts and Residences are unsurpassed, and we believe this unique location in Naples deserves nothing less, said Kim Richards, the CEO of the Athens Group, who's doing the building and developing. The development plans to replace the current hotel with a smaller, more upscale resort and to build what is described as best-in-class residential condos on both sides of Gulf Shore Boulevard with elevated amenities that will include golf and tennis. I hope uh, City Council supports this effort and uh, <laughs> doesn't get in the way. Uh, Laverne Norris Gaynor died on April the 12th at age 97. What a great life she had. She was such a kind person. I had the opportunity as board chairman of Gulf Shore Playhouse to meet with her many times. And, uh, in fact, Gulf Shore Playhouse uh, did its performance, still does, at the Norris Center, which her family uh, developed uh, prior to her birth, or actually during her early life. She's won a lot of awards, but more important to Laverne uh, Norris Gaynor was the work that she supported uh, in helping Naples better educating its children, preserving its nature, conserving its uh, heritage. She was one of uh, the city's best friends, and she worked. She died with her boots on. What a wonderful woman. Laverne Norris Gaynor, dead, died at age 97. Well, rare clot disorder, six cases and over 6.8 million vaccines administered, has the Johnson Johnson vaccine on pause from the FDA and CDC. A questionable policy move that was uh, met much worse by the catastrophic White House communications failure, but the pause itself appears ill-considered and impossible to justify on the facts, the clotting low platelet syndrome is extremely rare and has been seen with all the vaccines. The New York Times reported on February the 10th that there has been 36 reported cases with Pfizer or more Moderna vaccines, which has not created a pause like this. Identifying risk factors, surveillance, and treatment for the extremely rare side effect is prudent and should be a priority for the medical community. Communicating risks and benefits openly openly is important to allow people to make an informed decision about vaccination. Well, quite frankly, I don't think that's been the case. I think uh, bad news about uh, lockups and bad news about masks and bad news about the vaccines has been suppressed. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get vaccines, but I'm saying that that there, there has been a real effort to suppress both sides of the story with regard to vaccines and the coronavirus. Pausing just one vaccine, even if briefly over the issue, this issue is bad policy, and it's even worse optics that it happens to be the vaccine from the family tr- uh, company of Trump's ambassador to the UK. So interesting. Uh, this is from Rand Paul. If the government wants conservatives and African Americans, two populations who have been skeptical of receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, to buy it, uh, into the program is essential that they are truthful with them and avoid further resistance, said Rand Paul. If you want people who are skeptical of the vaccine to take it, a couple of things tell them. Number one is, it's their choice, Paul said Tuesday on Spicer and Company. And in free society, their freedom makes a choice and through persuasion, try to persuade them to take it. Secondly, added, you can't lie to us. We're not stupid. And the more you lie to us, the more resistant we'll be. If you tell me that an 18-year-old absolutely has to take the same as an 85-year-old, you're lying to me, he said. And once I know you're lying to me, I'll be resistant to believe everything else. Boy, that pretty well describes 
my reaction to this entire thing, and he's a medical doctor, COVID, he noted, is heavily weighted in mortality towards age, so older people and those with risk factors should be the first in line to be vaccinated. Really appreciate uh, Dr. Paul speaking out about this, Senator Paul. Richard Fleming, Dr. Richard Fleming is a physicist and a nuclear cardiologist. He issued a dire warning that experimental COVID vaccines are not effective, he said, but could cause diseases like mad cow disease. He said, I'm not anti-vax. I said, I'm just a a bad medicine, anti-bad medicine. Fleming said the vaccine companies own own data, their own data, which he displayed. Uh, I, I watched the uh, segment from Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson all show that vaccines make zero difference in stopping COVID. The emergency use authorization data shows there is no difference. It's just random chance, he said. However, the risks are high. If the animal model they developed uh, spongiform and mad cow disease, uh, Fleming said, we also know two weeks afterwards they develop what causes Alzheimer's, and neurological disorders. He warned the effects could take a year and a half to show uh, in humans. Fleming, who uh, in the 1990s discovered inflammation causes cardiovascular disease, said man-made spike proteins in the vaccines also cause inflammation. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was pulled for its link to blood clots in women. Vaccines have no statistically significant benefit, Fleming said but cause inflammation and blood clotting, Lewy bodies associated with dementia and mad cow disease, and nothing to benefit, he said. This is pretty unequivocal. Fleming said Biden's regime should call for immediate reevaluation of whether there's any demonstrated efficacy of the vaccines, because there's not, he concluded. Secondly, what were, uh, are the potential consequences of having already vaccinated a substantial number of individuals in the country, he said? Fleming called for a full review of the people who were involved in the coronavirus gain-of-function research. Dr. Anthony Fauci outsourced the National Institutes of Health gain-of-function research to the Wuhan Institute of Virology using taxpayer dollars. If you don't believe any of this, and you think he's kind of a nut, he's not, I encourage you to check out FlemingMethod.com is his website. The interview, by the way, was done on War Room pandemic, uh, Steve Bannon show. Uh, You can probably find it on the internet, but check out FlemingMethod.com. He says there's no benefit at all and certainly health uh, uh, risks associated with the vaccines. That's why I'm not taking it, but uh, you know what? I'm not a doctor. I'm just taking the information I can find and making decisions about our health. I hope you'll do the same. It is your body. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harton, the host of the Bob Harton Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, I hope you check out Choice Social. It's a new and refreshing social networking platform. Uh, check out choicesocial.us on the uh, website. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's an author. He's written a couple of books. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute and a constitutional scholar. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Now, uh, I'm so happy that we're going to have talk about this topic in terms of policy and law because there's a lot of politics surrounding and swirling around gun control. The Second Amendment of the Constitution says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In June 2008, the U.S. Supreme Court told us what that means. The court overturned the D.C. gun ban because it violated the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms. So uh, one of the things our listeners may not know that you were actually co-counsel in that case, it's for the only cases I'm aware of that you've actually adjudicated or, or uh, represented in, uh, and you did it in the Supreme Court and won. <laughs> Congratulations, Bob. Yeah, I'm one for one uh, before the <laughs> Supreme Court. So that's a uh, hundred percent. Yeah, so the court, one thousand batting average. Yeah, the court overturned the D.C. gun ban because it violated the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms. Give us some background on the case. The case was Heller versus District of Columbia, and it was a straightforward constitutional challenge to the uh, draconian gun control laws in D.C. And I filed the case along with two other lawyers in February of 2003 mm. on behalf of six 
uh, law-abiding D.C. residents who wanted to possess a functional firearm to defend themselves in their homes. So it wasn't about machine guns. It wasn't about assault weapons. It was about the right to own ordinary garden-variety handguns. And and the plaintiffs didn't ask for the right to carry the gun outside the home. Uh, That's an issue that is yet to be litigated. The Heller litigation was about a pistol in the home uh, for self-defense. Off and on over the years, you know, D.C. had uh, reclaimed its title, not not just the nation's capital, but also the nation's murder capital. Right. And the government there had been totally ineffective at disarming violent criminals, but they did a superb job of disarming everybody else in the city. Um, no handgun could be registered in D.C., and even pistols registered prior to this 1976 ban could not be carried from room to room in your own home unless you had a license, and they had not granted a license in more than three decades. Mm. Uh, And all firearms in the home, including even rifles and shotguns, had to be either unloaded or uh, disassembled and bound by a trigger trigger lock. So in in effect, unless you plan to club somebody over the head with your rifle, nobody in in the district could possess a functional firearm in his or her own residence. So it doesn't sound like that was in alignment with the uh, Second Amendment. Did the Heller case rely mostly on constitutional arguments or uh, public policy arguments? Both. Uh, With respect to policy, you know, killers who aren't deterred by laws against murder are not going to be deterred by laws against having a gun. Uh, These anti-gun regulations don't address the deep-rooted causes of violent crime, and, and by that I mean illegitimacy and teen pregnancy and unemployment, dysfunctional schools, and, of course, drug and alcohol abuse. The the cures for those problems are complicated, but that doesn't mean we have to become uh, passive prey for the uh, criminal class. So on on strictly policy grounds, I think there's a compelling argument that Americans deserve an opportunity to defend themselves. But even if the policy argument went the other way, that is, even if you could demonstrate and, and I stress that you can't. But even if you could demonstrate that more gun laws lead to less crime, uh, the gun laws are not just about policy. They're about the meaning of the Constitution, and particularly the operative clause uh, of the Second Amendment. So if we decide that a ban is required on policy grounds for public safety, the, the remedy there is to change the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't simply ignore that and act as though uh, the Constitution didn't exist. We, we've chosen to have a written Constitution for good reason, and it's uh, served us pretty well for more than two, two centuries. It certainly has. You know, the former sheriff of uh, Lee County, and I'm trying to recall his name. It doesn't matter, though. He basically said, you know, they refer to police as first responders. He said, we're not first responders. We're going to chase the bad guys after the bad deeds are done. The first responder is the victim. And if you don't have a gun to protect yourself... Uh, you know, you're pretty much at the mercy of whatever tools and resources that you have if you're being attacked. So, right. So interesting. So, did the Supreme Court conclude? How, uh, what did they conclude about the Second Amendment, or how should it be interpreted? Well, Justice uh, Scalia effectively rewrote the court's uh, Second Amendment jurisprudence. They hadn't visited the Second Amendment case since 1939. Uh, he held first 
that the Second Amendment protects an individual right to possess a firearm in the home for self-defense, even if that has no relationship at all to malicious service. And second, that Washington, D.C.'s ban on all functional firearms uh, was unconstitutional. Now, after that case, the Heller case, it didn't mean that you couldn't have reasonable gun regulations. But an across-the-board ban on all handguns in all places for all residents at all times wasn't a reasonable regulation. In fact, it wasn't a regulation at all. It was an out-and-out prohibition. And the Heller case said that is not permitted under the Constitution. So interesting. So what was the logic underlying the court's opinion? Well, correctly interpreted, the main clause of the uh, Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. That defines and secures the right. And the trouble, of course, has been this subordinate clause, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. And that helps explain why we have the right. right. So membership in a militia is a sufficient reason, but not a necessary reason, to the exercise of your right to bear arms. Uh, you can also exercise that right in, uh, in performing self-defense. If the Second Amendment truly meant what the militia rights advocates propose, the text would read differently. It would say, you know, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the states to arm their militias shall not be infringed. Right. But the Second Amendment doesn't say that. Right. And it, it uses a specific word like the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment. It talks about the right of the people. And consider the placement of the Second Amendment within the Bill of Rights, which, of course, is a part of the Constitution that deals exclusively with the rights of individuals. And we secure the right of the people by guaranteeing the right of each and every person. If, if that Second Amendment were intended for the state, but not for the individual, uh, then it would not be a deterrent to government tyranny. And everybody acknowledges that that was the key purpose of the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. So imagine if we had a right that was designed to deter government tyranny, and you could only exercise that right in a militia, which the government controlled. Uh, That wouldn't be a right in any sense of the word. Yeah, so I'm so happy you pointed that out because uh, my personal interpretation, and I appreciate your comment on this, is that because we have uh, a state a militia run by the state, perhaps the federal government, people should be able to you just take a look at what's happened in Myanmar and places around the world. You know, when people aren't armed, uh, then the uh, militia, the army, the <laughs> can take uh, can take control, and that's what happened in Germany and other places as well. So. We have uh, 470 million firearms, as I understand it, here in the, in the United States, and that number is growing as this controversy continues. That's right. It's growing, and, and gun-related crime, of course, reached its peak during the crack era and has been declining ever since, even though we've had a, a recent uh, increase in crime, mostly related to the pandemic, I think. <clears throat> so we'd had this explosion in the number of guns and a very significant decline in the, in the rate of uh, gun-related crimes, uh, that doesn't suggest that there's a necessary correlation between the two, unless the correlation is, is a negative one. Right. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I just really appreciate being able to talk about this issue without the politics surrounding it. 
Uh, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. You just heard the ad bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting GulfShorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's also an author. His book is called Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So what's on your mind today? What's a, We usually focus not on politics, but on culture. What are your observations? Well, well as you know, I, I try to focus on issues that I think are important, but perhaps not getting as much press as they should. And um, I, don't, I, don't, I never like to be redundant. I never like to be a, a Me Too uh, person without becoming um, you know, so focused on minutia that it becomes unimportant. So let me let me talk about a few issues in that category, Bob. Uh, as I watched the Deki uh, Matsuyama win the uh, Masters at Augusta, uh, it highlighted the the, the constant uh, drum banging about crimes against Asians. 
Um, first of all, the the uh, the crowd at Augusta cheered at him as wildly as they would have cheered for anyone, mm-hmm. as I did. I rooted for uh, for Matsuyama. Uh, I had been friends for many years with the head of the Korean uh, Retailers Association in New York, so I have a, a deep admiration for the work commitment of uh, of Koreans uh, in general, Asians perhaps in a, in a larger category. The number of crimes committed against Asians has slightly gone up in the last. Uh, two years, but uh, nothing, nothing dramatic. It's far more likely an Asian will be injured in a bathtub accident than be injured in a crime of hate in America. Uh, then the question is, and the question it's, I don't think is being dealt with, is why has all of this been ballyhooed so dramatically over the past six or seven months? Uh, I think we can break it down into, into specific categories. For example, I believe the left wants to weave the Asians into their victimology group, by, and that'll increase the power of the left because they want, uh, again, Asians now to classify themselves as women do and as African Americans do as a, as a victimized group, and mm-hmm. they will fall under the, uh, the, the control of the left. I think that's one of the issues that's, that's happening here. I think there's also an embarrassment right now because... Many of these uh, Asians come to America and they're, they're, they don't have a lot of money. Uh, they don't have a lot of resources in any, in any sense. And yet within a, a, a limited space of time, many are, are incredibly successful. Right now to the point where the average economic outcome for an Asian in America is uh, in excess of the, the average outcome for a white. So I, I think there's an embarrassment when they see that kind of minority coming in with limited resources and succeeding in America. I think the other thing is there's a, uh, what I'll call deflection, Bob, and the deflection is so many of our universities are uh, preventing access uh, by Asians because Asians in their superior uh, educational performance uh, are dominating many of our universities. And so these schools have shut down applications from Asians, and I think they're trying to, to hide that issue. So mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing with this um, uh, constant drumbeat of, of Asian hate crimes is, is that we're looking at power, the embarrassment of their success, and a deflection away from the uh, obvious bias of the universities against Asians. So um, I'm always surprised when stories like this do not ask the, uh, the, um, the more pr- uh, pertinent question, which is why is this happening now? Why is this story getting such such big press right now. And I think I've laid out, at least in my opinion, Bob, exactly why that's happening. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, I saw a quote that kind of stayed with me. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it goes something like this. If you want to uh, understand what's happening in America with regard to its problems, when you look at the problem, don't look at the victim. Uh, look at the who benefits from it. And, oh, uh, the Que Bono is always the issue here. And in this case, uh, the Que Bono is certainly the, the American left. And I think yep. that's, the, that's exactly what's happening. Um, I'm optimistic that the majority of the Asians will not be sucked into this, uh, into this process. Uh, most are too, are, are too astute and, and work too hard to allow themselves to be defined as, as, a, as a victim. Uh, but again, for the larger leftist audience, I think it also has appeal to to show that uh, those people that favor the left are are, are getting a reward by uh, having another victim identified and supported by their 
by their political process. So uh, it, it's just another part of the, um, the dilemma for, for modern America. And I, I hope the, the Asians particularly, and I hope America in general can, can dodge this bullet. Well, you know, uh, r- right now we're seeing, especially during the Trump administration, we're seeing black people step out from the plantation and saying, you know what, I don't want to right now be one of uh, the, the left's victims. I want, my, I want a job. I want to, uh, to achieve success. And uh, so they're flexing that muscle. We're seeing that from a lot of minorities, including uh, Hispanics. So uh, while the left wants to continue to bring people onto the plantation, I'll call it, so, which to me means that uh, basically being dependent upon the state, uh, a lot of people are, are saying, you know what, no, no, no more, not me. I'm not going to be part of that. Well, I, I certainly hope, as always, Bob, that you're right. I, I know this process does exist as you've defined it. Um, I hope it gains a, a continuing momentum and uh, grows even larger from this point forward. Uh, certainly, I, I think you're absolutely correct. This this is happening. It's uh, it's a it's a positive move, and it may be, in fact, the uh, the real hope for America is that our uh, former victimology of minority groups will will see the light and understand who is really supporting their life and their family's life. Is it the left? Or is it the rest of America who uh, insist that uh, there's a meritocracy here and the, the harder you work and the more meaningfully you work, the greater will you be success in life? And it will not involve handouts from the government. I think uh, that may be the, the best I can offer for the, for the positive future of America, Bob. Yeah. So, Andy, uh, we have so much more to talk uh, about. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. 
back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. You proudly serve on their board, and you can find out more by visiting vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, you know, I, I read this uh, new policy statement about hiring in United Airlines. It did not reassure me about the safety of the airlines. What are your thoughts? Nor, nor should it reassure you, Bob. Uh, United has committed themselves to having 50% of their pilots uh, be women and or um, people of color by, by 2030. Uh, now, this sounds very uh, woke. Of course, it is woke. Uh, but it's very dangerous because, again, we're going to see, obviously, situations uh, where there will be pilots of less competency put in those positions. I'm not going to suggest that there will be no competency. Yeah. Uh, but, again, in, in the area of, of piloting a plane, we need what we, uh, we can call extreme competency. I can point out the landing in the Hudson River. That was extreme competency. We can mm-hmm. have uh, Captain Bob Pearson's landing the Gimli Glider in Canada. That's another example of extreme competency. In other words, the, the more competent you are, the safer are the people on that plane. Mm-hmm. As United Airlines has proudly announced that they're going to be hiring more women, that's the, they're drawing from a much smaller pool of applicants. The same thing with African Americans. They're not drawing from a, a large pool of potentials to get into the, into the, the cockpit people of extreme competence. Uh, I believe it's a very dangerous phenomenon. I, 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 I'm going to predict there's a strong potential, at least, of, of major airline disaster. And, uh, Bob, I'm not a pilot, but uh, and this does not give me an expertise. But I, I have been a devotee of the show uh, Air Disasters on Smithsonian for several years. Now, mm. again, it's a television show, but they do a very good job at documenting the major causal factors factors of of airline crashes and i've watched hundreds of these things at this point and i've done a lot of reading on this and what you'll find is approximately a third uh to perhaps even closer to a half uh line disasters involved to some degree pilot this is a major potential source of of uh, of, of danger uh, and I, I certainly hope it doesn't come to fruition i hope this all uh, plays out with perfect safety uh, but I have a fear that this particular approach by United will lead eventually to uh, a major airline disaster. Bob. Yeah, so so for our listeners, some that may be thinking, well, gosh, that sounds very prejudiced and biased towards people of color or women. Certainly it's not. I mean, if, if in fact the, the juxtaposition to their policy, what I would prefer to hear is that we will have the best pilots flying commercial airlines in the world. In fact, we're going to cannibalize the best pilots from other companies. I don't care if uh, if people are uh, women or black or whatever. They, I just want the best if I'm going to get on that airlines. Absolutely. If every if every best pilot in the world was a woman or was an African-American, I would have no problem with that. But as I, as I pointed out in my uh, initial conversation on this, um, when you're drawing from a smaller pool of potential applicants, mm-hmm. you are by definition going to have to use people who are meeting what I'll call minimal competency. A minimal competency is a threshold that's where all pilots essentially have to reach that minimal threshold. But at that point, at that minimal threshold, all people, all pilots are seen as technically equal. That's not true. In some situations, uh, more is better. And this is one of those areas, Bob. In the area of piloting a plane, 
more competency, more experience, more time behind the stick is certainly better than less. And this is a small pool of applicants, and it will lead to some hires that are not drawn from the the best possible uh, people to put behind the, yeah. uh, the stick of a plant. You know, I'm sure this is an uncomfortable conversation for some people because of all the woke stuff that's going on. It creates feelings of uncertainty, you know, about uh, challenging the types of policies that we're hearing about. But I was reading the Naples Daily News, and the editor said, you know what, we're so proud of our staff, and then pointed out how they had so many different diverse, diverse approach towards staffing the Naples Daily News. And I'm saying to myself, no wonder it's such a rag <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it's you know, so like, like the rest of us people, Bob, and you, you and I are, are woke in the best sense of the word. You know, we want the best person doing the job. And right. that's what Equal Employment Opportunity had, had set up for us, whereas it, it guaranteed that the, uh, the best person uh, available for the job would get the job. And that was very enlightened. And I think both you and I ascribe to that. So when we're talking about these things, we're, we're only talking about using a characteristic for hire. That has nothing to do with job competency, whether right. it's as a reporter or an editor on a paper or a pilot in a plane. Uh, but you know, we have no problem. I have no problem, certainly with uh, with the best being hired, no matter what that what that represents. Right. But when you're putting people's lives in danger or in case of the Naples Daily News, where you're uh, having uh, limited stories of, uh, of weak factual content distributed to the public, I think those are uh, circumstances we cannot tolerate. And whether you're a woman or a black, you should also not be uh, be willing to put your life in risk on a United Airline or read something as fallacious in the Naples Daily News. Absolutely. Hey, I want to turn our attention to what's happening internationally. And uh, right now, the uh, Biden White House, uh, uh, the senior officials met for over the weekend about the threats, uh, simultaneous threats actually coming from, uh, you know, or the potential threat in uh, the uh, Taiwan uh, Chinese uh, situation and also the uh, situation in uh, and I'm drawing a blank right now. <laughs> yeah, this situation help me, uh, Andy. Oh, in uh, Russia and Ukraine. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, to continue the United Airlines discussion to some extent, the Secretary of the Army uh, has uh, is now Christine Wormuth, and you know she has uh, a list of uh, successful appointments as her major credential. Uh, it never lists anything that she's actually done or accomplished. And yeah, I'm going to make the point, and I can't prove this in terms of this conversation right now, but I know the major attribute of Christine Wormuth uh, to become Secretary of the Army was that she is that she is a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and I have no problem with women getting the best the job if they're the best, but I don't think that's what we're seeing here. I think the same thing can be applied to uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Uh, you know, he's an unsuccessful general by many measurements, uh, and he's made the uh, defense secretary primarily because he's an African-American. And these things are, are, are harsh-sounding to, uh, to uh, the modern American ear, but I think there, is, should, there can be no doubt that these are uh, characteristics of Wormuth and of Austin uh, to get these positions, uh, and I would suggest that they probably, and I have to say probably, are, are not the best for these positions now right now we're looking at the potentialities of, of war and of potentiality i'm not predicting war bob uh, in the ukraine the ukraine has said they're going to uh to reconquer uh, Lenansk and, and donetsk and, and crimea and we have committed our support it's it's not defined what that means uh support for uh, ukraine in these activities uh on particularly in the eastern area of ukraine 
the Russian military has, has massed about 100,000 troops within several miles of uh, the eastern Ukraine border. Uh, there is a strong possibility of, of war footing uh, from uh, Putin uh, in an engagement with uh, Ukraine. Both have very strong armies. These are very dedicated armies of, of intelligent fighting men with a strong a patriotic commitment to their countries, Russia and Ukraine. So we're, we're going to see, if this uh, goes into a, uh, an actual firefight on the ground, we're going to see a major war break out in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. The question is, what will the role of the United States be? Ukraine is not a member of NATO. Uh, they're not a member of the European Union. So the question is, what is our strategic interest in Ukraine, and uh, how will Biden fulfill his commitment uh, to come to the aid of Ukraine if there is war between themselves and Russia. So uh, that is a, a dangerous situation. It, it uh, opens up on the outside perimeter of that discussion, the potentiality of at least uh, field nuclear weapons, and in the, of course, in the most extreme circumstances, worldwide nuclear weapons. So it's yeah. something that, uh, that has to be looked at and, and has to be given significant concern, Bob. Yeah, if so we look at. I'm sorry about that. No, Andy, I, the, the, uh, uh, among all these facts, one of my biggest concerns is the, that uh, uh, President Biden has a. Uh, has a reputation or a history of uh, kind of having a hair trigger. I mean, he he uh, jumps. He is in favor of war in many cases. He's just looking back on the Vietnam War and other issues. He has wanted to jump in as opposed to uh, take take a prudent approach. I like, for example, I think President Trump has done. Yeah, I, I certainly do think that there that possibility exists with uh, with Biden. I think his history shows that that is a that is a possibility. And when we're talking about a man who has been wrong internationally and diplomatically about almost everything, you know, there's there's a good chance he could be wrong again if war breaks out between Russia and Ukraine. So yeah. uh, <clears throat> I don't think this is getting enough. Um, uh, analysis. I don't think we're understanding the implications of this uh, strongly enough. Now, again, Putin may be uh, just calling America's bluff, and uh, there's not really going to be any major conflict in eastern eastern Ukraine. But uh, it doesn't look that way. It looks like Putin is committed to, in fact, uh, reclaiming the eastern part of Ukraine, which is primarily dominated by by Russian citizens. Mm -hmm. If we shift this conversation over into the uh, the South China Seas and the the conflict that China is having with the, not only Taiwan but also with Japan and the Philippines, all of whom, all of which are allies of the United States, mm -hmm. uh, right now our, uh, our our naval battle force is down by about a hundred ships. Whereas at this point, the Chinese Navy is the strongest, at least by by size and type, uh, in in the world. So we're looking at possibility of uh, uh, China going after these offshore islands, uh, those uh, affecting uh, Japan, that's uh, Senkukus, um, and the, the ones off the coast of Taiwan and also the Philippines. So there's a strong possibility that, and again, we've committed ourselves to the defense of the Philippines, Japan, and, uh, and Taiwan. So uh, this is a, a, another area where, uh, again, we're in no proximity to these to these potential uh, battle areas. You know, we're 8,000 miles away or 6,000 miles away, as the case may be. Uh, and these these are not battles and wars that we can uh, can we uh, assume that we will have significant uh, implications to impact on.
Uh, I think there is a, uh, a doubt, uh, I don't know how strong that doubt should be expressed, that we've been fighting uh, for the last several decades insurgency wars against, against uh, non-professional armies who have no air defense systems, who have no air aircraft themselves. Uh, no one really knows how our military will perform in a, uh, a, ba- a, a warfare that would be seen as a normal warfare circumstance. Uh, yeah, so Andy, uh, these, these are dedicated right now more to being woke and politically correct than actually preparing for a state of battle. Though. Yeah, these are scary thoughts. Andy Joppa, again, author of Josephus of Oz, really st- great commentary. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Talk to you soon, Bob. My, my pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Professor Larry Bell. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Right now we have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books. Uh, His latest is a great read, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Uh, Let me repeat that because you ought to take a look on on Amazon or book providers. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional is is his book. Uh, Larry, Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's always a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. So you also write your column uh, on point for Newsmax. Your latest is Woke Corporate Politics Are Awakening Customer Resentments. I think this is such an important story. Tell us about it, please. 
Yeah, it's kind of a head scratcher. It's hard to figure out why major corporations would alienate half of their customers by jumping into this. Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of wokeness now that you can't escape uh, if you're going. I guess being a company and an advertiser and so on. Uh, for example, if you're producing oil, you have to be a, somehow also a global warming nut. So you know, it's it's, it's kind of a head scratcher, but but. Uh, Particularly uh, with regard to you know the Atlanta uh, and Georgia voting issue, that mm. uh, you have these major companies, Delta and and, and Home Depot and and uh, uh, Coca Cola and, and several others jumping in on this, and not not just Georgia companies, but other companies. Say, what in the world are they doing? Uh, First of all, they haven't obviously read the legislation, and uh, secondly, why would they? Why would they step into such a landmine of yeah. controversy at a, at a time like this? Yeah, so you're absolutely. Right. In fact, I found something on uh, Breitbart today suggesting that that the Brennan justice system is, which is heavily funded by the George Soros. Is uh is part of this effort to <laughs> corporate wokeness. So I mean, again, on another front, we're just seeing more and more. I'm gonna, you know, uh, identity politics. It's uh, it's uh, really really disturbing. Yeah, and there's such a, such blatant hypocrisy that it's just kind of hard to escape. You know, where you're, you know, the issue of having to identify yourself to vote when you have to identify yourself to buy liquor or get on a Delta airline is somehow racist. You know, you reach a point when, when everything's racist, nothing's racist. And, uh, and, uh, rapidly approaching that point now where, where, you know, the, the shaming and blaming strategies, it, it kind of loses, loses, uh, uh, potency. And, uh, and, and now it's a, it's really a scare thing. I think mm-hmm. we wonder if these companies are, so frightened of being uh, uh, attacked by, you know, BLM and Antifa or whatever, uh, having their their boardrooms burned down. Is that the reason that they're doing it? Uh, you know, we understand that we understand they're globalists and we understand they want international markets and they want to do business with China. And they certainly wouldn't uh, uh, mention to China that they have a, uh, a civil rights problem with putting their Uyghurs in, in prison, but, but, you know, there's this rampant hypocrisy in you, and uh, we see this corporatist, globalist movement taking over the country. Yeah, and, and uh, to me, the, uh, you know, uh, I read a quote that says, if you want to try to understand the problems in the United States, don't take a look at who is the, the, who's suffering, take a look at who benefits. And it just makes me wonder if perhaps, perhaps this might be about, uh, Moving corporations are getting behind the Biden agenda and wanting the United States to become more of a globalist, socialist type of country because their markets are international anyhow. I'm sorry about my dog, man. No worries. <laughs> one of the hazards of one of the hazards of working from home. No worries. So, Professor, do you think I'm back? Yeah. Do you think that perhaps this is about uh, the these companies embracing the globalist movement and, and the way that uh, Biden wants to run the country? I mean, it's a combination of things. I think that, on one hand, they 
you think that currying favor with the Biden administration is going to bring them lasting benefits, maybe on major legislation that they want to get passed and so on. So, yeah. but, but they must realize at the same time that, you know, we have the midterms coming up and uh, there's going to be, I think, a, a comeuppance in a lot of these states where you have, oh, for example, the, the southern states are concerned about the, the border issue and then we have the, you know, the, the shutdown of, uh, you know, the fracking and the Keystone Pipeline that, you know, is the, the you know, big penalties for for uh, states like uh, New Mexico, which won 11 points for Biden, and certainly it's not going to win any friends in Texas and Louisiana, and and then so on. So you have these. I think I think we're going to have a, a, a maybe a, a nice change of of, of scene, mm-hmm. at least in the congressional congressional side in 2022. So, which is next year. So, why would they do this? Do they? I guess maybe they forget that elephants have long memories. Yeah, I'm uh, do, back. Back to your point, Professor. Though I mean, I was so upset by seeing Ken uh, Chenault's name, former CEO of American Express. I worked for American Express for many, many years. I've had American Express card for fifty years or more. And literally, my one of my knee jerk responses, and I'm certainly not going to act on uh, anger that I felt about uh, his position in supporting this, is I wanted to cut up my American Express card, and send it back to him, and say, "No, Moss, I'm not, I'm not participating anymore." And I think that is, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm sure many people are saying, you know, I, I really don't want to do business with people who are and companies that were taking a position against what is obvi- obviously good legislation. Well, I, I did the same thing with AARP card when when they were pushing for Obamacare. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, of course, there they had a very strong material interest in in, in that. But yeah. uh, in this case, we wonder what in the world is, you know, companies like Coca-Cola. Maybe they figure people are going to, you know, drink their products uh, regardless. And maybe they will. Uh-huh. And uh, shop at home, you know. Home Depot and and fly Delta to the you know to the Beijing Olympics, uh, you know, so they can you know they can sell their their brand there of polar bears, distressed polar bears because of global warming. But but why would why would they do these things when they're so short sighted? Mm-hmm. And we wonder what's happening in their boardrooms. And I believe that there's probably going to be I and mean, probably already is. A pretty significant uh, pushback that they didn't expect. Yeah, I would agree with that, Professor. And you just take a look at the evidence of what's happened to the NBA, what's happened to Major League Baseball, uh, professional football. They've all taken big hits because of positions they've taken politically. Uh, when are they going to wake up and realize that uh, we don't want politics in our sports? It dims you know, my interest. It's just like turning down a rheostat when the you know, I played baseball in college for crying out loud. Now I won't even watch a major league baseball game anymore. So, yeah, unbelievable. Professor uh, MLB is, is going to, I think, take a hit. And uh, and again, a lot of these a lot of these uh, sports groups are going are going global, and particularly in China. Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, alarmed at how much influence China has gained over over our economic. Uh, the circumstances in our businesses and so on. We see that, of course, in, it's been very rampant in big tech, you know, where we we have the facial recognition and, and all the stuff that goes 
goes with that. But now uh, we're seeing it, I think, so so broadly uh, uh, throughout our nation, and I think particularly this current administration is playing to that, and mm-hmm. maybe part of it's you know that they have they're able to coerce America through weak leadership. Yep. And so they're they're very pleased with this. I noticed in the paper today how Iran is is kind of bragging about how they're going to, you know, go back to uh, further enriching their uranium. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they would have done that under Trump. No, no, ain't no way. In fact, you talked about influence. How about yeah, China having influence? Certainly has it, the influence in this administration too through Hunter Biden uh, as well. Professor, this is a great conversation. I wish we could extend the conversation, but uh, I hope uh, our listeners will take a look at what your latest book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. And Bob, I always appreciate uh, your conversation and your interest. Thank Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll have a visit with Keith Flaw, uh, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. And by the way, they have a great program coming up this weekend, and I've got tickets for it. If you'd like tickets for the April 17th thing, it's called uh, The Inside Scoop on America's K-12 Education System, Celebrating Kids and Country. I've got tickets to give away. Uh, you just give me a call. Send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. Uh, We'll visit with Keith Flaw, Seton Motley, Bill Barnett, and of course, I'm hopeful that our Congressman Byron Donalds will join us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.